Judges chapter 13 is where we'll be this morning. Um, we'll work through the whole chapter. Before I became a believer, uh, I really didn't understand the Bible. I didn't know what the Bible was. Uh, I thought the Bible was really like a, a, a kind of a mystical, holy book. Like, and this comes from me watching like scary horror movies in the 80s that if you threw it in the fireplace, it wouldn't burn. And um, it would scare away vampires and werewolves. And that's hard to imagine in your context, if you're a college student in this room, that vampires and werewolves are scary. But in the 80s, they were scary. Uh, but in 2010 and 2014, teenagers want to date them for some reason. I don't understand it. Um, but this was when werewolves were scary. And so I thought in order to scare off a werewolf or a vampire, you had to have a Bible or a cross and, you know, onions or something like that. So I didn't understand, or garlic. Um, and so I didn't understand um, what the Bible was. And I just thought this is like this mystical, like spells of God or something. I didn't understand it. And so, uh, but later on, I became a believer. And uh, after becoming a believer, I heard things about the Bible, that it was God's love letter to us. And so I'm like, okay, it's God's love letter to us. So I'm going to read it and understand how much he loves me. Um, and so that's my understanding of the Bible. And then I would hear things like, um, so I became a believer at uh, 11, and so I was a pre-teenager, and then I heard someone say, the Bible has all of life's questions in it. An answer to any of life's questions is found in the Bible. And so you hear that when you're a pre-teenager, you're like in the index looking for puberty. Like, okay, I want an answer for puberty, because this is, you know, and so like you're trying, so, so, now, so I went in that direction. So, okay, it's got all, it's my God's letter letter. Um, it, it has all, all of life's hard, difficult questions. It's got all the answers to it. And then um, later on, people would say these like kind of one-liner lines about the Bible. Like, it's your instruction manual. It's your survival guide. It's your road map to life. And maybe you, some of you had seen the analogy, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And so, or it's his story. That's my favorite one. Um, it's his story. And so I would, I would, okay, so it's all of these things. And, but, but here's the problem. As you read the Bible, it's really not a road map to life. I mean, it's got maps in it, but it's not going to tell you every step of your life. It's not going to tell you who you marry. Um, the Bible didn't tell me to marry Jessica. It has Jesse in it, but I'm pretty sure that's a guy. So like, I mean, so Je it doesn't tell me Jessica. Um, and it, it did tell me I need to marry a believer. So I, admit, I married a believer and her name happened to be Jessica. It didn't tell me how many children I should have, or it shouldn't tell me what to name it. And it doesn't say a ton about how to even raise them. It's like, um, look, don't spare the rod, and if, you got a, if you're a dad and you got a boy, don't make him too mad. It's like, that's what we have with life. And so it's, it, it becomes something that, uh, if, you, if you're looking at it through the, I want to know all of life's hard questions, or I want to know what to do with my life next, or some of this kind of like self-help, like roadmap to life, survival guide book, it's really not going to serve you well if that's the only way you see the Bible or God's word. Uh, because I want to argue this morning that perhaps God's word has something more in it that it wants to display to you. And I would say, really, the Bible is to display more than all of those things that I just said, which are some of them as good things, but the Bible's really a book 
that displays, listen, the character of God. And that is what's best for us to know what God is like. And so when we read the Bible, we got to be looking for the character of God. And what we're going to see here in Judges 13 is is really the beginning of a four-part kind of mini-series in Judges on uh, Samson, our final judge in uh, the book of Judges. And we're going to see God's character in display here that is very, very beautiful and marvelous as Samson has this miraculous birth. And my hope and my goal this morning is that we would like you to leave here seeing the character of God on display like you've never seen it before. So Judges chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 1. It says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now let me kind of walk you through what's happened here. Uh, We ended last week with Judges 12. Uh, We worked through 11 and 12, and we talked about a specific judge named Jephthah. Jephthah was a leader that God raised up to uh, really get Israel restored once again after um, the death of Gideon. And Gideon led them out of the Midianites, and then Jephthah led them to another place. And then after he dies, then you have three more judges that lead. And this is the end of uh, Judges chapter 12. It's a guy named uh, Ibsen, it's a guy named Elon, and a guy named Abdon. And these three led a total of 35 years. And then we're told that Jephthah led for six years. So that's 41 years total that Israel had consistency, meaning they did not worship these pagan gods. They didn't go back and worship Baal and Asheroth and some of these other false gods that what would happen when they would give in to these false gods is that the nation that uh, identified with that false god would actually begin to oppress the Israelites. And so here you have 41 years, they have not given themselves over to a false god because of uh, leaders like Jephthah and the other three that I mentioned. Over these 41 year span, they didn't give in. But what happens? Once the last guy dies, Abdon, what happens is they go right back into their sin. This is why Judges 13 starts with the word and. Verse 1, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord because all of these people died. And once they die, they go right back into their, Israel goes right back into their cycle. They, be, they, they believe that whatever is right for me is what I should do. So if this feels good, this is what I'm going to do. If it feels good for me to worship this pagan God, I'm going to do it. If it feels good for me to disobey the commandments of the God of the Old Testament or the God of Scripture, I am going to do it. It's much like the culture that we live in today. It's very much however I feel at the moment is right for me, and this is what Israel looks like. They did what was right in their own eyes, and they only obeyed because the right judge was in place. And once this judge dies... They go right back to their wicked ways. And then the scripture tells us in verse 1 that they are now in the hands of the Philistines. The Lord handed them over to the Philistines out because of their disobedience. And the Philistines are one of Israel's most dreadful enemies. But look at what God does in verse 2. After they've been 
in the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, this is what happens. There was a certain man of Zorah in the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. So watch this redundancy here, all right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. Thank you, right? But you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, does this sound familiar? I mean, it kind of reminds us of stories we've already heard in the Bible. We've heard stories like uh, Abraham and Sarah. They're supposed to, they're, they're barren, they're, they're old, and the Bible says that they're so old they're as good as dead, which means they're really, really old, and um, they're going to have a child, and they're barren. So how does that work? Well, God says it's going to happen, and that, then it happens. They give birth to Isaac. And then you have uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah, who's the parents of John the Baptizer. Same thing, barren, you're going to have a child. Then you have Mary, who wasn't barren, but she was a virgin, and she was told that you are going to have a child. So it's very much like some of these stories that we've already heard. But notice what it says in verses 2 and 3, specifically verse 3, the very beginning. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. And this is Manoah, and this, is, this would be the father of Samson, and it says to his wife. It doesn't say her name, it just says to his wife. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, what we talked about in the last uh, several weeks, we covered back in Judges 6, we saw the angel of the Lord appear and show up and give Gideon a message. And the angel of the Lord was this messenger from God. Now, there's a distinction that I want to point you to that's different in this story than with like Mary and Elizabeth. Because when Mary and Elizabeth in the New Testament, in the Gospels, were told that they were going to have a son, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord. It actually says an angel of the Lord. So there's a distinction there already. And what we've seen, even with Gideon, we said that the angel of the Lord showing up in the, New, in the Old Testament, and it shows up, same, same thing, the angel of the Lord shows up with Abraham and Sarah. What we said back in Judges 6, when, we, when, when the angel of the Lord approached Gideon, the angel of the Lord approached Gideon, we said that was likely Jesus Christ himself showing up really as a cameo in the Old Testament to be a messenger of God. And this is what happens likely here. And there's more evidence of that that we're going to see even later. But the angel of the Lord, and we would say it's probably Jesus Christ, shows up to this woman and says, you're barren. And in that case, uh, if a woman was barren in that culture, it was like she was cursed by God. Many women at that point read the Old Testament prophecies. These Jewish women would read the Old Testament prophecies and they would have known that good things were going to come through the birth of a child. And they thought that if I was barren and I couldn't have a child, then certainly God is against me. And even in that culture, people would frown upon a woman who was barren. And it's sad that that's the reality, but that's what we're facing with this couple. But you have Manoah and his wife, and the angel of the Lord comes to this woman and says, you're going to give birth to a child. And not only that, there's very specific instructions on what she is to do with this child. And it's different, and this is what makes it different than um, John the baptizer and with 
um, you have with Abraham and Sarah, there's very specific instructions here on what she's supposed to do. Notice with you will in verse 4, it says this, Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink or, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for, he, for, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband. So here you have these rules that God sets out, and it's actually known as the Nazarite vow. You actually can see this in Numbers chapter 6, where there's specific instructions on someone who wanted to be specifically uh, devoted to God. And so they had to go through with this Nazarite vow, and the Nazarite vow is, you're not supposed to cut your hair, you're not supposed to drink any strong drink or anything that comes from a grapevine, and you're supposed to avoid any contact with anything that is dead. And it was so serious that the angel of the Lord told his mother, while you are carrying this child, you're not supposed to drink wine. Probably good advice anyway, right? I mean, don't drink while you have a baby, I mean, right? But it's, it's being more specific because God wants to ensure that she knows that she's supposed to train her son to hold to this Nazarite vow, to stay clean. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I, I think that that is. Uh, one, I think he's just trying to preserve uh, Samson because he knows how he's going to be. There's a couple of times in scripture where um, you're going to see God specifically tell certain people not to drink. Uh, he tells John the baptizer, uh, look, I don't want you touching anything. And it makes sense, right? When you see his personality, he's the guy who yells a lot and screams at people and wears weird clothes and eats, you know, bugs. And it makes sense. Like, he looks like a character from Duck Dynasty. He's like, you don't need to drink anything, all right? You need to stay away from it. And this is what happens with um, Samson. The homeboy has no self-control. The last thing he needs to do is drink. So it's like very clear, these two at least, okay, don't drink anything. And so he's trying to preserve Samson. He's trying to make sure this guy stays on the straight and narrow. And so there's carefully spelled out rules, three rules that they're supposed to follow even, even as he's in his mother's womb. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But notice verse 6. It says this. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me. Isn't that interesting? It was called an angel, but she says it's a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. And then she says, very awesome. I love that. I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink. And eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. 
Now, this is very interesting because here she is. She acknowledges there's something unique and something different about this angel. She says he looks like a man, but he has the appearance of something that is kind of divine. And then you have, um, you have then this dialogue between her and her husband about this issue. Notice what her husband, notice what Manoah says. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please. Let the man of God whom you sent come again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. So what does he want? He wants more rules. God, I know we've got three, but but tell me a little bit more rules and regulations on how, what we're supposed to do now with this child. And this this is what happens. Verse nine. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of, of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, but Manoah uh, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and he went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now, when your words come true, what is uh, to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, this is interesting, same thing. Of all that I have said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean, all that I commanded uh, her, let her observe. Same thing. So Manoah says, okay, we've got three rules when he first hears it. Not supposed to eat from a dead animal. Not supposed to drink, strong drink. Not supposed to cut his hair. Okay, I get that, God, but give me more rules. And he says, there's just three rules. And that's it. I mean, he's like a classic new dad, is he not? Like he just finds out we're having a baby. Like, okay, every new dad does this. They want to know, what do I need to do to make sure this child sleeps through the night and never cries? Give me the specific instructions on how to do that. And every dad gauges the health of their child based on those two criteria. How's it going? She never cries. It's awesome. Man, how's it going with being a new dad, you know? It's so great. He slept through the night. And that's the criteria, right? She lost her leg yesterday, but she's sleeping through the night, and that's what matters to me, right? Despite the fact we gave her whiskey before she went down, she slept through the night. And that, that, that is the criteria of, like, new dad, got the rules, what's the trick? And like every new dad, they want the gimmicks. They want the trick. Give me all the rules. And this is what Manoah wants. He wants, okay, God, I know you gave me three, but I want more rules. Give me his life's mission. Tell me your ultimate plan for his life, and I can rest in that. Make, tell me what, when he's going to get married and how many kids. You know, he wants to know all of the details, and God doesn't give them to him. And he's a lot like us, is he not? We want the specific plan for our lives. God, will you give me all the rules? Will you give me the roadmap to my life? Would you give me the instruction manual and tell me every single thing that I'm supposed to do for my future, for the rest of my life? Will you do that for me? And we, we often do that. And most of the time when we see 
God's sovereignty at work and we realize it's God's plan, 99.9% of the time, we see it in the rearview mirror, do we not? We look back and say, oh, that was a part of God's plan. Had no idea. Man, I didn't know we were going to have a kid at this age. I didn't know this was good. I didn't know I would graduate with this. I didn't know I would end up in this career. And it's always in the rearview mirror that we see that. Because the sovereignty of God doesn't work that way. He he's, he's keeps that from you so you can trust him. You tracking with that? He keeps that from you so you can trust him. If he spelled it all out for you and told you the day that you would die, I mean, that's not going to help you at all. You're not going to trust him. But it, it, he keeps that from you so that you will trust him. And here, Manoah is asking God, I want more rules. I want you to tell me more. Now, what's going to happen is that the angel of the Lord does come back and, and something shows up here where he, he doesn't do anything new, but, but I want to show you this, um, what happens next. Verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please... Let us detain you and prepare a goat for you. So now notice this. He's saying, let us feed you. And he's, what's happening is Manoah is treating um, Jesus like he is one of their idols. And the way that you would worship a pagan god, like the pagan god of Baal or Asheroth or some of the other ones that we've already seen so far in, uh, in Judges, is if you gave food to an idol, it was supposed to give you food back in abundance. And it's kind of like what we see even in the prosperity gospel today. If I give God something now, he's going to give me tenfold later. And it's this understanding of God as a give and take relationship. If I give you, you're supposed to give me back. And so he has probably, likely, because of the influence of other um, pagan religions, specifically with the Philistines, he would have had some bad understanding of God. And he thinks that this angel is like that. So let me give you some food, God. Let me, let me give you some food. And now the way that he responds is very interesting in verse 16, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat your food. I love that. But if you prepare, prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And in that, what, what, what Jesus is really saying is, listen, I don't need anything from you. I am perfect and complete without your offering. In the garden of Eden, when uh, God created man, he did not do it because he was lonely, all right? He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our things. We have nothing to offer him. He's God. And that is what's being communicated here. I don't need your food. But listen, if you want to sacrifice it to the Lord, then do, do it that way but I don't need your stuff. And then you see in verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. Verse 18, and when the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now in this culture, if you wanted to know someone's character, you'd often know their character by their name. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, God would give someone a name with the knowing their plan, the plan that he had for their life. So, for instance, Gideon, one of the last judges that we talked about, his name means mighty warrior. God wanted him to be a mighty warrior. I named my son Gideon for that reason. I want him to be a mighty warrior. And, um, and so that's why he's named Gideon. Not really, but just a cool name, all right? I wanted to be somewhere, and somebody said, what's your name mean? Mighty warrior, back off. You know, I wanted that kind of thing, but... Um, but sometimes uh, God would give someone the name they're supposed to live up to. And so he's asking the angel Lord, what is your name? Because listen, he wants to know his character. He wants to know his character. In the way that the angel of the Lord responds, says, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, what could he mean by it's wonderful? Well, he's likely referring to prophecies that would be said about him. Like later on in Isaiah 9, verse 6, we quote this. In a few months, we're going to quote this a lot during Christmas time. You'll see it on, um, on greeting cards. Um, Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful. Y'all didn't sound wonderful. His name should be called what? Wonderful. wonderful, good, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And this phrase here, this, this name that he's supposed to be called wonderful, it only belongs to Christ. It only belongs to Christ. So the angel of the Lord, when asked, what's your name? He says, it's wonderful. And what he's talking about is likely he's talking about this prophecy that would be given about Jesus that his name would be Wonderful. And perhaps this is the most explicit place in the Old Testament that Jesus is the angel of the Lord, because his name is wonderful. So all of these things are happening, and they're, they're realizing Christ is standing right in front of us. They don't realize that, but that's what's happening. But that's not the most spectacular thing, I think, about this chapter I want to show you something more. Verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock of the Lord to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord, listen to this, went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And listen to this. And Manoah said to his wife, we, have sure, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. So here's what happens. Manoah wants more from God. I want more rules from you, God. I want more instructions as to what to do with this child. I know you've given me three, but can you give me 10 more? Can you give me more instructions on what his life's going to be like? What's the plan you have? And he doesn't do it. But what does God do? He displays his power and authority over nature and creation. He displays who he is. And from that, 
They fall on their faces. And then the response is very interesting in verse 22. He says, he's going to kill us. We've seen God. He is going to kill us. And being a Jew, he would have known that this is true about God. Uh, You you think about when um, Moses was on Mount Sinai in Exodus 33, Moses asked God, God, can I see your face? Let me see your face. And then this is how God responds. Exodus 33, verse 20. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So why is it that he didn't die? I believe it's because he saw God in the person of Jesus doing a cameo in the Old Testament. And now they're not standing before him, but they're kneeling before God. And this is an amazing, amazing picture of God displaying his character to mankind. Undeserved, unwarranted, but he does it. And what I want to show you is how his wife responds next. And this is how I hope that we would respond this morning in verse 23. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. She's saying, why would God show us his character and have no plans for us and no plans for our child? So let me just kind of summarize what just happened. You got two parents, a wife is barren, God comes to them, gives them specific instructions. You're going to have a child. Here's specific instructions on how to raise them. Manoah, out of his doubt, says, I want more from you. I want more instructions. I want more uh, rules and regulations on what we're supposed to do. I want more about what your plan is for his life. And God does not give it to him. Rather, God shows who he is. And he's basically saying, you need to know me and my character more than you need more information. All the rules in the world will not be able to give you the direction for all of the innumerable decisions and choices you will make with your son. Only a deep understanding, that's what God's saying, of who I am will give you the guidance that you need and the faith that you need to trust And God's message to them is really God's message to us this morning. We often think we need more rules, but we actually need to know God more. And he gives us something more than a guidebook. He gives gives us himself. And that's the greatest gift of all. And this is what I want you to know this morning, because when we read God's word, we often look at it like it's full of rules and instructions, but that's not really what it is. Rather, it's a book that displays who God is and his character. And that in us should cause a greater affection for him because it shows us how we are to respond in worship to him. And there's something really beautiful about that. Because once that begins to change, it should change how we approach scripture. Because be honest with you, when I grab, when I take the Bible and when I open it up and I'm, I'm trying to read it, the first things I think about is the problems in my life and how to solve those problems. So what's the Bible going to teach me about that problem in my life? Or how is it going to answer this question that I have about my life and about this situation? And 
really what we should be doing is I want to open the word of God so I can know about him and his character. I want God to display himself to me. And so some of the questions even we have when we open up a devotional guide, it's like, what does this passage mean to you? And how does it apply to your life? Those are like the only two questions. Those are good questions, but it's not a good starting point. The starting point should be, what does this passage show me about who God is? What does this teach me about his character? And from that, how does this apply to my life? What does this passage mean? That's how we approach it. It's got to be for knowing God. Because rules are not going to change us. It's God's character displayed in our life that changes us. Think about it this way. That's why we have the book of Judges. Israel could not be changed by rules. You put the law in their life over and over again. The law entangles them. The law actually causes them to sin more because of their unbelieving hearts. But what do we have as believers? We have the gospel. What's the gospel? It's God's, God displaying himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and he died on the cross for our sins in our place and he rose from the grave and he conquered the penalty of Satan's sin and death. All of that changed you if you're a believer and all of that is, is God displaying his character through Jesus. It's the character of God that changes us. If you think about the book of Galatians, one of my favorite books of the Bible, you have Paul and he's arguing um, the Judaizers. The Judaizers believed that you could become a Christian, but you needed more rules in your life. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not about rules. It's about the new heart. It's about having your life transformed by the gospel. And so he argues in chapter 5 of Galatians, he shows this dichotomy between a non-believing heart and a believing heart. And he's saying, this is why rules don't matter, guys. This is why you can't ex- import the law into your relationship with God because rules are, it's not about rules. It's about a new heart. It's about you being transformed by seeing the character of God displayed in your life. So let me just show you Galatians 5. Start with me, if you will, in verse 16. And I'll show you how this works for a believer. God's character displayed in our life. Galatians 5.16, this is what Paul says. But I walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing what you do. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under a set of rules. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, listen to this. This is for believers the fruit of the Spirit. Those who've seen the character of God displayed, those who've been transformed by the gospel, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Against such, there are no rules. 
It's not the rules that change you. It's the spirit of God in your life, right? And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. See what he just said? It's not the rules that change me. It's the gospel. I'm not obeying a set of rules. I have the fruit of the spirit. I have a new heart that's been transformed by the gospel. And because I have a new heart, I want to trust him and I want to obey him. It's a whole change of the will. You see that? It's a whole change of the will. And it's all because God displays his character, not his rules. Rules won't change us. The Holy Spirit has to change us and give us a new heart. Even even as a believer, that's true. We have to consistently walk knowing and trying to embrace the character of God in our life. So it's true, if you're a non-believer, how do you become a believer? You gotta see the character of God, you gotta see it through Jesus. For the believer, what does that mean? Same thing. The character of God has to be constantly shown and displayed in our life, even in the hardest of times. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about how I was once one of the greatest rule followers that you could ever find. I was a Jew and I was a poster child of what a Jew should be. And then he argues all of that's worthless because it's not about rules. And then he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, but whatever I had gained, I had accounted Loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because it's a passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish or I count them as dung, some of your translations say, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the what? Right, comes from the, the rules, But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I might, what's the word? Know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his suffering, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See what Paul just said? Even in my suffering, even in my hardship, I want to know him. I want to know him more. And I want to see his character, the power of the resurrection displayed in my life. So it's not rules that saves us from our sins. It's the gospel. And the gospel is God's character displayed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not rules that sustain a believer in our lowest point. It's God's character displayed in our life. When we are suffering, we need to know that God is an omnipotent God. He is an all-powerful God. He is all-present. We need to know that he is all-knowing. We need to know that he's the beginning and the end, that he's sovereign over all, and that he's the ruler of all things, and that he sits on a throne, and every knee and every tongue and shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Christ Jesus is Lord until the end. And we need to be always reminded of that and embracing his character 
all the more in our lives. Because out of that stirs greater affection for him and a greater desire to worship him and a greater desire to listen, obey him. Because faith is not built on rules and instructions. Faith is built on an unmerited, unwarranted gift that God gives us when we see his character and display in our lives. So it's my hope this morning that you would desire to see God as who he is in scripture. It's not that you're not approaching scripture just to get rules and instructions on how to live. Rather, you're approaching scripture to the, so you would see God more. And you would see God more in your life. And so if there's parts of your life that you would rather give God rules, because I've got to be honest, it's easier for rules. It's easier for us to follow rules, but the new heart, the law of Christ in our life says he's changed you and you want to obey him because you love him and now your pursuit of him grows even more because you have a transformed life. It's my hope that you would die to wanting and desiring more rules, but wanting to know the God of the Bible. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you are not enjoying your relationship with God because you'd rather have more regulations to follow. But maybe this morning, God wants to open your eyes to see his character even more because it's his character that changes you. And this morning, maybe you need to reflect and say, God, would you just show me more of your character? Show me more of who you are. It's not about these rules, Lord, but make me a better worshiper of you by seeing you on display as who you are and trusting and obeying you for who how you display yourself to me. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the word. We're grateful for the word that displays who you are. And as Jesus said to his disciples that all the prophets are about him. And even in scripture, as it displays who you are, it points us to Jesus, our savior and our Lord. And Lord, for those in this room who may not know Christ, would you open their eyes to the gospel, help them repent of their sins and believe in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, for those of us who do believe, help us not to do as Manoah did when he heard that his wife would have a child. He wants more rules. Lord, would keep us from being like the Judaizers who say, you have to have more rules. Even after you become a Christian, you gotta have more rules. Lord, break us of that. And help us just to want to know you for who you are and trust you for who you are. And help that to change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.